0: In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven.
1: Father, thank you for your great love for us. Come now, Lord, and let your words be truly words of life to us that your love in us may be multiplied, that we may be transformed, and Lord, that we would have just an inkling of a glimpse of how good and great you are and how close you are to us. pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. You can tell, you're not going to tell me Happy Mother's Day? It's okay. It's one of those things you tell somebody else and they tell you right back, but it's not Mother's Day. A happy ascension day. Maybe you noticed. Maybe you saw the candle. Did anybody notice the big, the big white candle? That has a name besides the big white candle. We call that the Paschal candle. So Bill was up there, up there. And whenever Jesus, in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven and disappeared from their sight, what happened? The candle went out. Magic. Illusions, Michael. No. So the candle goes out. And that, that candle represents to us the presence of Christ. And so now we we live in this, this liminal space between Ascension Day, 40 days after Easter, and the day of Pentecost. Now, Ascension can be really easily confused, because we can think that Ascension, oh, well that's when Jesus went back to being God again. He was with the Father, they were chummy in heaven, and then He came down for Christmas, and He lived for many, many years, and then on ascension, he you know, got the genie lift and went back up, and then disappeared in the clouds, and he's gone. But that's not exactly right. So I wanna, I'm going to talk to you about some theological technicalities. I'm going to talk to you about space, not necessarily the final frontier, though I know by the grins I see now, there's some Trekkies out there. I'm going to talk to you about space and its relationship, especially heaven and earth, and their relationship one with another. And I, I do want to give you fair warning. I'm going to be quoting profusely from a book, from a, from a book called Surprised by Hope by a guy named N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright. He's a wonderful uh, theologian, and Anglican, uh, just, just so happens. And, but it, this book about uh, resurrection, ascension, and the new heavens and the new earth is really great. If you're interested in reading about heaven, if you're interested in about reading about what happens after we die, life after life after death, then you ought to read this book. But just first a couple of things. Ascension, when we're ignorant about the ascension, when we don't really understand it, and again, it's, I'm not, I don't want you to check off all the boxes and say that you know everything, but we do want to celebrate and acknowledge together where Jesus is. So where did he go? Can you imagine those guys from Galilee? Because Galilee, remember... Was not the most cosmopolitan of places. It was a little bit like maybe West Texas, or you know, where, where did he go? Where did Jesus go? Well, whenever the astronauts, when they were going into space more often than they are now, when in the '60s when they were going into space, there, there became this thing in the church, particularly, especially in the mainline church, that had you know, kind of liberalism had kind of taken over it, and. There, there was this effort to prove everything. We have to prove the resurrection. You have to give me all the facts to prove it. You have to prove the ascension. And some uh, astronaut made a snarky comment. We went, to, we went to the moon and we didn't see Jesus anywhere. You know, well, Jesus didn't go to space. He didn't like lift off with his rocket boots on, though that would have been cool. I'm sure he could have done that. Jesus goes from earth to heaven. Now... N.T. Wright, remember I said I was going to quote from him, he says, you can think about space in two kinds of ways. You can think of it in a receptacle way, where space is something to be filled, like here's some space, let's fill it with people, and buildings, and stuff, and culture, and great food, and maybe a brewery. So there's the receptacle view of space, or there is the relational view view of space where instead of heaven and earth being two different points along the same continuum they are related to another one another tangentially so that someone just like jesus the one who ascended into heaven the one who is we sang it i was so great we sang the, the king of glory in his ascension he's that's his coronation He ascends into heaven. We hear Psalm 110 echoing in the back of our heads. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. In that moment, when Jesus was truly absent from us in the ascension, he went to heaven. Now, heaven is not the place where the precious moments cherubs live. Those are beautiful, but that's not heaven. Heaven's not, we're not all playing the harp on a cloud and we're weightless and, you know, floating around. That would be very funny But heaven, at least in the, the biblical sense, is very solid. How do we know that? Well, what have we been talking about with Jesus these last several weeks of these great 50 days of Easter? It's still Easter. Don't forget. What have we been talking about? Jesus is tangible. We can touch him, but he also can appear in rooms with locked doors. And it's really scary. And, oh, will you make me some breakfast? And he eats a fish right in front of the disciples' eyes. But at the same time, he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has this real body, but it's not like my body or your body. It's glorified somehow because they don't quite recognize him. Is he the gardener? Man, that gardener's crazy. No, it's Jesus. And so we see that heaven, because Jesus is go, he's preparing that place for us. He has become what we will become. And Jesus in heaven shows us that heaven is, is real, it's raw, it's tangible, it's glorified. Sin is gone. There's no more temple because God will dwell with his people and his people will dwell with Him, and we'll see God face to face and he'll see us and we will know him fully as even now we are fully known. So do you see why it's important to know about the ascension? Because if you don't, you make up your own Christian mythology. Oh, one day I'm going to get on out of here. Oh, this life's... And yes, granted, this life can be terrible, but it's not an escape for something. This is the beginning of a new humanity that our Lord Jesus inaugurated in precisely his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So when we deny the ascension or when we are ignorant of it, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We forget That Jesus is Lord. And that because he's in heaven, because he's at the Father's right hand, because heaven and earth are related in space, not that they're different receptacles where you have to take a special tunnel to get from one to the other, and you can pop in and out, and it's just like, wow, how did Jesus know that secret trap door or wormhole? No! Heaven is all around us. When when we see the Greek word uranos for heavens, It's also the word for air. When Abraham hears the voice out of the air, out of the heavens, don't sacrifice your son Isaac. That's that word, uranas. And Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, he ascends into the air. He is now more present to us, to all of us, at any one time than we can even imagine. Now, I've told you a lot of that stuff, that's all prologue. So now I'm going to get into the meat of the book. I have a sermon and a sentence. Every now and then it will happen where I do my preparation, I do my work, and all the Legos fall into place. And look, it's the beautiful castle from second grade. So the sermon and the sentence is this. Ascension enables and empowers the church to be God's mission. Is that right? Yes. Ascension enables and empowers the church not just to do mission but to be mission. Why is that? The ascension enables and empowers. Now we talked a little bit why it enables, but let's look at some details. First of all, look at the accounts of the ascension. We just read Acts chapter one. Before Jesus ascends, what's the last thing he says? It's been real guys. No, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you disciples We'll have a great time. And life will never disappoint you. No. You'll live the dream. No. You will be my witnesses. Mission. Remember what we said last week mission was? When we talked about Peter going to the Gentiles and how the resources of heaven are inexhaustible and that the kingdom of God is not a zero-sum game, that God can multiply His gospel and pour out His Spirit on whomever He likes? Jesus says, guys... You're going to be the agents by which I do this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Think about other moments, though, when Jesus is about to ascend. Luke 24, we read it. Chris read it. What happens? He takes him to the Bethany. Now, these are all different accounts. I get it. But go with me here. Luke 24, it's the day of the resurrection. They're on near Bethany, Mount of Olives. What does Jesus say? Well, first he opens their minds to understand everything written about him in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he says, you guys are going to be my witnesses, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high because I'm sending the promise of my Father. We see this Old Testament phrase, this old promise, this old guarantee, really, that when God made this covenant with Abraham, Hey, Abe, through you, all families of the nation, all families of the earth, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus says, hey, the promise of the Father is coming to you. That's Luke 24. Matthew 28, everybody memorized that in VBS, right? Go therefore and make disciples. And da, da, da. So that we call that the Great Commission. But what's happening there? Matthew writes it like Jesus is Moses on the Mount of Olives. Remember Moses? Did he get to go into the promised land? Nope. But on the side of Mount Nebo, he's commissioning the nation of Israel. And here's Jesus, a prophet like Moses, commissioning his disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples. That's the imperative verb, make. Baptizing, name the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what's the last thing he says? I'm with you. I'll be with you always. Lo, I'm with you unto the end of the age but you're leaving. That's how Jesus is with us. His real absence, ready for your mind to be blown, his real absence to us in the ascension because he ascends to the Father's right hand is his real presence to us. Wright says this, heaven relates to earth tangentially so that one who is in heaven can be present simultaneously anywhere and everywhere on earth. The ascension, therefore, means that Jesus is available. What did he tell his disciples? When two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm with you. Guys, that wasn't just a nice platitude for when we're down or when we open up our package of testaments and we see that. That is reality, that our Bodies and our minds and our souls and our hearts, our desires. We need to be alive to that. That Jesus is with us. Would that change how we behave sometimes? Would that change the way I pray? Oh God, if maybe you might want to think about, consider. No, He is with us. He's available, he's accessible, Wright says, without people having to travel to a particular spot on earth to find him. We don't have, we, it's good to make pilgrimage. It's good to go to those holy places because they are indeed holy. Holy things happen there, but we don't have to do that. I remember when we were in Jerusalem back in October, and there we were at the Western Wall, and I had my little yarmulke on, and they, encouraged, they said, go pray. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to live into this. And I got up there and I thought, but this is what Jesus said. I, I don't have to touch the wall because it's the closest place to where God's presence used to be when the Ark of the Covenant was there and the temple was there. Because Jesus said, you living stones will be my temple. And the irony of it hit me. All because of the ascension. Jesus didn't go back to Galilee and hang out didn't set up shop in Jerusalem, Pay all the tourists for a little temple tax. He went to the Father's right hand to enable our mission so that we would go. Mark chapter 16, the very end of Mark. What are they supposed to do? Jesus says, go into all creation. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that holistic? Into all the cosmos, the cosmos. Preach the gospel so that all things that are wrong will be made right, Jesus said. And then he ascends. Do you, get the, you catch the drift now? The last thing he tells us and he tells his disciples before he ascends is go. You're my witnesses. His ascension enables our mission. Commission and mission are around the corner everywhere we look. He has to go away so that we will go. And remember, all mission is is being sent We are a missional people because God is a missional God. The church is mission. We don't just do mission, but we are mission because that's in whose image we were created in. We were made in God's image who sends himself. He sends his son. He sends his spirit. He surrounds us in his loving embrace. And friends, mission, yes, is specific tasks at specific times. It's telling somebody specifically the words of the gospel. But you know what else it is? It's loving your neighbor. It's loving your sibling, calling your mother on Mother's Day. It's being the image of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is everything we do because of the ascension. The ascension enables and empowers our, the church-to-be mission. In the ascension, we have the resources of heaven. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We tend to think that if we're doing something for God, it's like a school project and we can't ask the teacher for help. You know, you'll get points counted off. or you know, It's not a group project. Don't ask your neighbor. Work on it yourself. And we tend to think of our life in Christ like that, our mission like that. Well, you know, I've got to come up with all this stuff. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Remember last week we talked about self-disclosure, friends. If, you're, if you trust someone, someone's trustworthy, you can, sh- you can share a little bit of yourself with them. That's what Jesus said. Hey, all that the Father told me in John, chapter, John 15, he says, I'm telling you guys, that's why you're my friends, not servants. So one of the things that I struggle with is perfectionism. And it's it's like I'm still not quite sure that I'm a perfectionist because I'm not really good enough to be one. And that's when I realized, yeah, it's a problem. But how often? And maybe you can identify. If not, then I'll just this will be for my own edification, but how often do I try to take something into my own hands. How often do I think, well, this is, the, this is the job that I've been given, and, you know, by God, I'm going to do it. I, and sometimes I feel like, you know, one of these CEOs in a horrible, like, job training video where if we assemble the right team, then everything will fall into place. Our profits will soar, you know, that, that kind of a thing, like, not real. And I keep thinking to myself, well, if we just all do the right things, if we just, if we make Make it look right and seem right and feel right. If people experience this the right way, then the formula hits and bam, magic. But it's not that. That is not the mission of God. The mission of God is not something to be to be manipulated. I'm really stuttering today. It is God's impulse to give himself away and for us to be the agents of that giving. Look what the disciples asked before Jesus starts giving them the straight dope. Verse 6, I thought it was. Yeah, verse 6. So Luke gives gives a little intro to Theophilus. And then it says, So when they came together, all these disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't think they were asking a bad question. I think they were headed in the right direction. But, But put yourself in their shoes. If it was me, I'm like, oh, now God? Now? No, now, and and here I am like a little dog trying to anticipate what Jesus is going to say and I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to legitimize myself or be legitimized by, by what other people say to me, about me. That is not reflective of the ascension because what does the ascension do for our mission besides enable it? It empowers it. God doesn't need my power. Now, he's given me gifts. He's given you gifts. We're his workmanship. He's created us to walk in good works that he's prepared beforehand, but he wants them to be empowered by his heavenly resources. And Jesus goes to the Father so that he can send the helper. I'm going to send the helper. He's going to teach you everything you need to know about me. And he said, and trust me, guys, Greater works than I, you saw the works that I did. They speak for themselves, but greater works will you do. There's something mysterious, there's something almost laughable that God would trust us enough to pour out the resources of heaven on us in order to fulfill his mission, in order to do his works. N.T. Wright says this, and I wrote this, in as bold a pencil as I could write it and underlined it and did everything. He says, ascension means that we can heave, that's very British, heave a sigh of relief, that we can give up the struggle to be God and with it the inevitable despair at our constant failure. Did you know our failure is part of the gospel? It's not something that we hide. God, do I love that prayer, the calling for purity, Almighty God, to whom all... Let me read it. because When a priest quotes it wrong, he gets in trouble. It's the first thing they teach you at preschool. Not preschool, which I did several years also. Still bitter about being held back. Almighty God, to you all, hearts are open. All desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. It's out there, whether you like it or not. It's out there. And how does God respond to you? Like a withholding relative? No! Open arms. Hey, I love you. That's why I walk the earth. That's why I ascended. So that I could be present to you when you feel like a piece of dirt. We can heave a sigh of relief because we give up that notion that we're going to be perfect. I can give up that notion that I'm going to be perfect. My friend Bill told me something very early on in this church plant. He said, Jay, in a very knowing Bill kind of way, you know you're going to mess up, right? And I said, yeah. Okay, okay. And he saw my head hanging Shame. He said, but, but that's good. We love you because of that you're human. And Bill, that meant, so, Bill knew that I was an Enneagram 3, even before I even knew what, how to spell the word Enneagram. And he knew that I needed to hear that. Because in my rigidity, I'm going to do everything right. But the ascension, because Jesus ascended, because all of heaven is open and available to us, I'm going to screw up. And that's good. Because that means that God can come in and fill that space. He can fill the space of our errors. He can take our brokenness and transform it. He can breathe his life into it. He can take the Holy Spirit and pour it out on people all around us. He can use this little church plant, St. Bartholomew's. By the way, it's okay to go ahead and start calling it St. Bartholomew's. Somebody said something about all saints the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, you meant our church. So it's okay. Go ahead. You can start calling it St. Bartholomew's. Where did my thing go? God, I'm losing myself. Here we go. So that God could use this little broken group of people called St. Bartholomew's to reach East Dallas and Richardson and Garland and Mesquite and all points beyond and in between. Because it's his mission. Because of his ascension, he, he enables that mission. He empowers it with his heavenly resources. It's not up to us to make a product. It's not up to us to make it happen. And notice what... The angels, so Jesus ascends. All the disciples, Bartholomew included, are standing, staring, and the angel, two angels dressed in white on either side of him address the disciples, men of Galilee. There's this reminder, hey, super ordinary people, super totally human guys from a region that didn't really care much for the law, that were called by name by the Lord Jesus to be fishers of men. Guys that didn't get it half the time. Guys that rejected your Lord on the night he was betrayed. Guys that hid and cowered and denied him. Men of Galilee. The same way that you saw him go, he's going to return. Friends, we're normal. We're normal. And because we're normal, Jesus can do above normal things in us. Because we're natural, we can be truly supernatural. Because we're human, and because of the ascension, because in the ascension, Jesus, who took on our full humanity, didn't skirt any of it, takes it on, and he takes it to the Father's right hand, he dignifies it completely, totally, beautifully, and perfectly. And because of that, he says, hey, humans, I'll show you what it really means to be fully human. I'll invite you into that. And that's part of what it means to be mission. Just be human. All your brokenness, all your shame, transformed by the gentle touch of the servant. I love how Isaiah describes the servant. My servant will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. He's one that we can disclose ourselves to. He's one that we can trust. He's one that will weep with us because he's already wept for us. And he'll weep with us for days and years to come if we need him to. So the essential enables and empowers us, the church. The church is not this. Do you understand that? Church is not vestments. The church is not, well, the church is, because we're part of the church, but the church is not a hierarchy. The church is the living people of God. We've seen what happens when the church thinks that it equals Jesus. That didn't go so well in the Middle Ages. We are called to be the presence of Christ. We are called to be mission. And Jesus stands at the Father's right hand, completely present to us, enabling that to happen, pouring out the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, next week is Pentecost. Don't miss Pentecost. Pouring out the Holy Spirit, enabling and empowering us to be who he has made us to be. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are dumbfounded at your love for us. We thank you that In our death, and our transgressions, you called us to yourself. And we pray that you would use us as individuals, that you would use us as a people to be mission, that you would use us to call people to yourself, Lord Jesus, you who stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross. Would you draw people to yourself here at St. Bartholomew's and to churches all over East Dallas as they preach your gospel. Thank you that the resources of heaven are unlimited. And we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.